I've got one quick announcement before we jump into our uh, message and continue on in this series, but uh, we're excited here at South Suburban to announce that uh, Drew Collins, our traditional or our contemporary worship leader who just led you today, is actually joining the staff full-time here at South Suburban. And so Drew, Sarah, and Sailor, would you guys stand up just a moment? Glad to have you a full-time part of the team and your family as well. And so we're excited about what God is doing here at South Suburban. And, you know, we go through these seasons of unknown, and every once in a while, God throws us something that we just say, oh, yes, I can hold on to that. I can grab a hold of that. And a few weeks ago, it was, it was Joe. We were able to grab a hold of him and uh, welcome him to the team full-time. And, and this week, it's Drew, and we're, just, we're thrilled to have him uh, as a part of the team here. And so we're excited about that. We're, today, we're at the midway point on this series on 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that's called Love Is. And over the past few weeks, we have looked into this beautiful and yet this complex passage, striving to see what love looks like in the eyes of God. And we've stubbed our toes a few times along the way on some of these really difficult characteristics of true love. And yet we know that this is what God has called us to as his followers. It's a love that's demonstrated in him but it's a love that he's looking for in us. And we struggle sometimes to find the right way to say, I love you. Lots of words have been tried. We've attempted a lot of ways to say those things. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. With our spouse, we might try these hopelessly romantic phrases like, if I had my life to live all over again, I would find you sooner so I could love you longer. Did it work? <laughs> or we try things like, baby, you're the best thing since sliced bread. Not many of those have ever worked. Or we go super cheesy like this, you're my butter half. Listen, we try lots of ways to say I love you. Our kids will say it. Our kids will say, I love you more than anything, except our dog and french fries, because I really love french fries. With our friends, we say things like, you're my best friend. You're my BFF. There's nobody that I'd rather hang out with than you. Or if it's two dudes, they simply look at each other and just say, dude, and everything else is understood. Am I right, guys? Okay. The truth is we try to find lots of ways to articulate our love. You can find numerous odes to love if you walk down the, the rows of greeting cards at your local store. Pinterest is filled with clever phrases and poetic lines, and yet many people still struggle with vocalizing their feelings and their commitment of love. And I think we all eventually come to the place where we recognize that words though moving, fall far short. Saying the words, I love you, is absolutely powerful. But true love was meant to be demonstrated, not simply spoken. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we dive in again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul describes true love by using a series of 15 verbs. And our English translations will change some of those verbs to adjectives, but in the Greek, 
They are all verbs. And I think this is significant. Because the love that Paul is talking about is primarily not something that you just feel or say, but it's something you do. So let's look again at our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, and it is not self-seeking. And then today we will look at these. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Now, I think we have to admit it. Some people just know how to push our buttons. Can I get an amen on that? Okay? You guys were way too eager and willing to say that. Because we know it, whether it's with words or it's actions, there are certain people who just, they have your number. They know how to rub you the wrong way. And so it's with this proverbial sigh, we all just say, ugh, when Paul tells us that true love is not easily angered. The word easily did not actually appear in the original text. It was added with the King James translators, and uh, they believe that the translators wanted to make a point to King James because he was actually known for losing his temper very quickly. And so they said it's not easily angered. And maybe you know somebody like that, or maybe that steps on your own toes. But the original Greek text had a a compound word for the word angered, and it portrays somebody who comes alongside another person, and they start to poke, and they start to prick, and they start to stick that person with a sharp instrument, a sharp object. And they continue to do it until the person becomes provoked. Now, a lot of your translations on this passage today accurately say love is not provoked. So what does it mean to be provoked? It's an interesting question. Our English dictionary tells us that it's to be enticed or lured or baited or drawn out. Somebody who is provoked has finally had enough of this relentless picking or or poking or sticking. They're drawn out and they end up responding by, by physically or verbally lashing out. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I was thinking about this passage this week, and I was reminded of this, uh, this time when I was in college. It was summertime, and I was living at home with my parents, so I was back on the farm in Kansas. And outside my bedroom window, a wild turkey decided to take up perch on top of our shed. And that meant that every morning, bright and early, as the sun was shining, this turkey would gobble or crow, and it would wake me up. Summertime in Kansas in a farmhouse, we didn't have air conditioning, so my windows open every single night, and I couldn't sleep. So at first... I tried to ignore it, and I tried to pull the blankets over my head, and I tried to go back to sleep. Eventually, I got up, and I would yell at the bird and try and get it to to stop, and sometimes it would leave, and sometimes it wouldn't, but I reached the point where I had enough. I couldn't take it anymore. I became provoked, and so I loaded my rifle, (laughs) 
I stuck the gun out the window of our farmhouse, and I shot that darn turkey off of our roof. I went back to bed. My dad came in just a few seconds later, and he said, did you shoot that bird? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, I wondered when it was finally going to tick you off. <laughs> Listen, anger presses us, and it provokes us, and it prods, and it pesters us until we give in. But true love, Paul says, does not take the bait of anger. That's important for us. It doesn't take the bait. It's not that we don't feel the temptation, but Scripture tells us not to give in to it. In fact, Psalm 37, 8 tells us specifically, refrain from anger and turn from wrath, for it leads only to evil or shooting birds. So what does that look like for us? What does it look like to not take the bait, to not be provoked, to refrain from anger? It means that sometimes we have to choose to let things go instead of stewing about it. You know that by human nature, we hold on to things, don't we? We hold on to them. Love calls us to throw water on hot situations rather than gasoline. And some people are gasoline throwers. But love refuses to be provoked. Proverbs 15 verse 18 says, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Now, the same word that's used in, uh, in this passage here from Paul, we find in Acts chapter 15 verse 39, where Luke records this conflict that occurred between Paul and Barnabas. And you guys probably would be familiar with this story. Barnabas wanted to take Mark on the next journey, but Paul was against it because Mark had proven himself unfaithful in an earlier trip. And they debated the issue. Now, this is the same Paul who wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we're studying. The words that these two exchanged must have been very sharp. That's why Scripture tells us that there occurred such a sharp disagreement between them. A sharp poking, prodding, instigating disagreement between them. In fact, Scripture goes on to tell us that this provocation was so severe that it disrupted their friendship and it destroyed their partnership in ministry. As a result of the harsh words that were spoken between Paul and Barnabas, these two men who had served God together in the ministry ended up separating ways. And I'm sure that Paul is remembering this experience well as he writes that love is not easily provoked. You know, I'm really grateful that I'm not the only one who learns from experiences. Paul's looking back and he's saying, I blew it. I was baited. I was lured. I was drawn out. And I was provoked. And it ruined ministry. It ruined a relationship. He lost his temper. He said regrettable words And Paul comes back and he redeems it and he says, true love does not behave like this. He said, don't fall for it. Don't take the bait of anger. Don't be provoked because there are two sides to this character coin that we're looking at today as we talk about being provoked. And that is that true love is not provoked and it does not provoke. Because you know there's two sides to a conflict, don't you? And here's the deal, no matter what side you're on, 
as my dad would say, your side and then there's my side. And so he would rephrase it and he would say, there's my way and there's the wrong way. And a lot of men are, are nodding their heads like, that's right. No matter what side of the conflict you find yourselves on, love is not a provoker. It doesn't throw gasoline on a hot situation. Love is not drawn out. It's not baited. Love is patient. It endures. True love is not provoked, and it does not provoke. So you've heard the expression, you better bite your tongue. That basically means that you have something that's probably harsh to say, but you'd better hold your tongue. You'd better bite your tongue. You've also heard the expression, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. Well, Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Scripture also tells us in James that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I think that's a biggie for this character trait of love. Slow to speak, and slow to become angry because I think they're tied directly together. I think we all recognize that we open our mouths too quickly. Have you ever started to talk, and as soon as you opened your mouth, you were trying to grab the words that you had just spoken, and you're trying to draw them back, and it's too late. We engage our mouth way too quickly. And when we do that, we say things that we wished we hadn't. We say things that, that have an edge to them. We don't think about how it's going to be received. We just think about how we want to speak them quickly, and it provokes people. I think it's directly connected, and I would, I would encourage you over the course of the next month to be intentional about speaking slowly, not speaking slowly, but being slow to speak because I think it will directly affect anger. If you would just wait a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you before you open your mouth and speak to somebody else in those tense situations, I think you're going to find a spirit of peace that floods over that situation rather than being provoked. So Paul's words in 1 Corinthians here could read this way, love is self-controlled. It does not take the bait of anger or lose its temper even when deliberately provoked. Then Paul lists his next characteristic about love, telling us true love keeps no record of wrongs. The Greek phrase here is actually an accounting term, and it literally meant to credit to someone's account. So picture a bookkeeper a bookkeeper who meticulously keeps accurate financial records. But in this case, the bookkeeper is an offended person who keeps detailed records of every wrong that was ever done to him. Just as a bookkeeper has an entry for every debit and credit on the books, this person deliberately stores in his memory all the mistakes, all the failures, all the wrongdoings that someone else has made against him. And rather than forgiving and letting it go, the offended person has carefully maintained records of each action done to him that he deemed unjust or unfair. 
Now, this is where we get the vengeful phrase, they are going to pay for that. Because we hold a debt against somebody. When they have wronged us, we hold a debt against them. And we say, they will pay. Paul said, that's not love. As difficult as it is, as difficult and challenging as it is for us to keep no record of wrongs, Paul said, it's what love looks like. Listen, we're tempted to tuck in the back of our mind a list of what people have done against us. But Paul says, love does not keep score. So there's this somewhat challenging passage in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. You can read it with me here. This is God's perspective on on forgiveness and dealing with the sins of his people. And he said, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Now, I've heard a lot of people use the phrase forgive and forget. Have you heard that before? That's a tricky phrase. It's a very tricky phrase. What does it mean that God remembers our sin no more? See, once our sin has been forgiven, Scripture tells us that it's never brought before us again. That matter has been settled eternally. And so the phrase, remember no more, means that God does not hold our sin against us anymore. He has forgiven us of our sin, and he has released us from our debt. We will not need to pay for it, because Jesus already did. That's what it means when Scripture says that he will remember no more. God remembers He doesn't forget or he wouldn't be God. But he no longer holds that against you. He treats you as if it had never happened. I think the phrase forgive and forget is tricky. But what this passage is saying in Hebrews is exactly what Paul is saying in our verse today. True love does not hold past wrongs against people. It chooses to forgive people of their wrongs and release them of their debt. I want, you, I want to give you a moment here to write this down because there's a significant passage that we're going to look at next, and I want to see it on the screen. But true love does not hold past wrongs against people. So let's look at this. Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, As far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. There's a significant thing that happens. When you confess your sins to him, God separates you from your sin. He does not forget what has happened, but he separates you from that sin. That debt is not put on your books anymore. You've been separated. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. You've been separated. So in this concept here, in this context, we start to see how true love behaves And if you have ever been tempted to keep a mental record of the wrongs that someone has done to you, you need to be aware that you're not giving the same mercy that God has given you. You need to be able to separate that person from their wrongdoing. I'd like to just pause for effect this morning. Because nobody likes this. 
it's extremely uncomfortable because it really steps on our pride. It steps on what we call justice that they deserve to pay. But what God did by sending his son Jesus Christ to die upon a cross for our sin is that when he forgave us of our sins, he separated our sins from us and he no longer held it against us. We no longer had to pay for that sin and we're grateful for that and we thank Jesus for that all the time. But Jesus then is looking for that same grace and forgiveness in us. But somehow, it's different in our minds. Grace is one of those things that we love to be the recipients of, but it's very difficult to extend to others. But that's what Paul is talking about here. Can you separate someone's wrongdoing from that person? when they've offended you, when they have betrayed you, when they have wronged you, do you still keep a mental record and still charge them with that debt? And one day, they'll pay. Such a difficult challenge for us. But this is how true love behaves, that once you have dealt with the matter, you release the offense and you let it go for good. Because true love doesn't drag up the past. It doesn't drag up the past. Have you ever, please don't raise your hands on this. Have you ever, in a heated conversation with your spouse or a friend, drug up something from the past? Never, never. Not me. Listen, if there is one way for you to know if you have truly released that person of their debt, it's if you have brought it back up again. Because let's use a a hypothetical. If my wife and I have an argument and she says something and she, she, she wrongs me and I forgive her, but three months later, when we have a heated argument again, I bring that back up. Have I released her of her debt? No, what I've done is I've held on to that debt for just the right opportunity to call her on it. Now, I use that example. It's always the opposite in our relationship. My, my wife, I'm the one who does the wrong, but I have to bring it back up too. We, it's this weird deal where we struggle with not bringing things back up. We still want to call people to account for what they've done. Listen, I'm not going to stand up here and act like this is easy. I'm not going to stand up here and act like this is natural. In fact, this is not natural. All of these characteristics that Paul talks about are supernatural characteristics of love. They're found in the person of God himself and they're made available through the power of his Holy Spirit in our life. But they are contrary to our nature. And so when we talk about these things and it gets uncomfortable, 
we know that the Holy Spirit is speaking. And sometimes he speaks by stepping on toes. Sometimes he speaks by just turning your heart. And sometimes there's a conviction. And if you have ever caught yourself bringing things back up to a spouse or to a friend, there's something that God needs to do inside of you that's called not holding wrongs against people. And again, it's a, it's a challenge for us. But once you've dealt with the matter, you release the offense and you let it go for good. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says this. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. God wants all of his children to forgive each other. Just as he has forgiven us through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he treats us as if we had never sinned and he doesn't hold our sin against us. Love keeps no record of wrongs. So when you take all of these Greek words and these phrases that are translated and you put them together, you could read it as love does not take the bait of anger or lose its temper even when deliberately provoked. Love does not keep records of people's past mistakes, but forgives and releases people from their debt. And I want to encourage you not to rush through these. Because as we take these section at a time, it's actually really healthy that there's an entire week between these sermons to where we can process it. Because if you remember going back to our very first sermon in this series, when we talked about the calling for us to put on love, not just to know what it is, but to actually wear it, to demonstrate it. There's a significant difference when we talk about being provoked or we talk about um, dragging up the past or releasing people of their wrongs. There's a significant difference between knowing what we should do and then doing it. But that's what Christ is looking for. He modeled it first for us, and now he's looking for it reflected in us. So don't rush through these characteristics. If God is speaking to your heart, then you need to take the time to respond to him. And if you have felt your toes stepped on, or you felt that turning inside of your your heart today, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But I think he's speaking to all of us, so you're in good company. We're all human, but we all have the ability and the opportunity for the the Holy Spirit of God to do something incredible inside of us, that we could demonstrate this kind of a love. And it's comforting for us to know that God does not keep a record of our sins. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that's the basis of our salvation, that we no longer have to live a perfect life. We no longer have a debt against us. We have forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ. But that's what we have to ask for. It's something that we have to go to him and ask for. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus for forgiveness, you've never given him an opportunity to come into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Asking for forgiveness and accepting Christ as your Lord is saying yes to the greatest demonstration of love ever offered to mankind. So with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if that's you, if you're here today 
and you want to just say yes to that forgiveness, you want to say yes to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. You can say, God, Lord, you know that I don't have it all together. You know that I haven't done anything to deserve your love, and yet you demonstrate it by sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. And so I say thank you for that, God. Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I thank you for dying on the cross so that my sin would not be held against me anymore. And I thank you for offering me a brand new life. Today I ask you to come into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Give me the strength to follow you from this day forward. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that today for the first time, maybe it's been a long time, we want to be able to celebrate with you. In fact, would you guys take a moment and congratulate those who prayed that prayer this morning? Congrats. Hey, at the end of our service, our elders are going to be up here to pray for for anyone who who is uh, looking for prayer this morning. And if you prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to come and let one of our elders know so that we can encourage you, so that we can pray with you, and so that we can support you as a church family. Now, today's Topics can tend to hit a nerve because we're dealing with this difficult issue of forgiveness again. And forgiveness is just like love in the sense that it's oftentimes something that you choose. You don't feel forgiveness. You choose forgiveness. In fact, there are many times when we must choose to forgive someone and release them from their debt despite our feelings. But as we continue to give it to the Lord, our feelings begin to line up with this kind of love that Paul is talking about here. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it is possible because of the cross, because of the love and the forgiveness that Jesus first offered you. Now it's available for us to be able to offer those around us. But we're gonna need the help of the Holy Spirit. And so as we close today, I wanna encourage you to just join with me as we pray acknowledging this love that was demonstrated by God, but also acknowledging the fact that we're gonna need some help. Are you, are you, am I the only one? Let me stop and pause for a moment. Is there anybody else who needs help living this kind of love out? The rest of you guys, I would like to talk to you after service <laughs> because maybe you can give me some counsel on this. Listen, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that's the job of the Holy Spirit. He came as our helper to take the things that are of the Lord and make them known to us. And so let's go to him as we close today. Let's go to him and ask him to do that miraculous work inside of us that the love that was demonstrated first in him could now be lived out in us. Lord, we thank you for this time together today. And God, we thank you for your patience and your forgiveness that you have extended to us. Lord, we're truly grateful that you have released us from our debt because of the cross. And today we ask that you would help us to demonstrate that same kind of love to those around us. God, give us the patient restraint that's necessary when we're baited by anger. Help us to not be provoked by others and help us to not do the provoking either. Father, we ask that you would give us the grace of releasing people from their debt just as you released us from ours. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things and all God's people said, 